Hey Coleraine, my name is Corey Foister, the Township's intern, and I'll be your host for Season 2. Each episode we'll talk to a Township official or someone from the community and learn about them and what they do to make Coleraine Township a great place to live and work. This week, we're talking about the very interesting history of the township with Mary Burdett. Hey, Coleraine. My name is Corey Foister, and today I am with Mary Burdett, and she is the corresponding secretary for Coleraine Historical Society. Uh, Mary, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Could you tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, yes, I'm a native Coleraine person. I grew up in the uh, small community of Peach Grove. And it's uh, Peach Grove was a place where they raised peaches. They had acres and acres of peaches. And um, so I grew up on about 20 acres. Um, I tell everybody we were latchkey kids, but we never locked the house. Uh, till I was in high school and our neighbor noticed people coming up and stopping at the house so uh, it was an interesting childhood way different than today's childhood Um, we grew lots of um, vegetables and had some fruits and our lovely gooseberry bushes which my father kept and cut down the raspberry bushes I have no idea what he was thinking of (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I went to Coleraine High School. I went to Coleraine, Coleraine, and Coleraine. And I was the, our class uh, was the first kindergarten class, but I did not attend kindergarten. And the class of 1964 was the last class out of the building that's now the junior high. After that, all the graduations came from the new building, and those people have already had their 50-year reunions. So it's not so new anymore. I enjoyed high school very much, and I enjoyed all the schools. Uh, I went to Jewish Hospital School of Nursing after I graduated from high school. There were six of us who went to Jewish, graduated from Jewish, and worked as a nurse. So I think that was really a special uh, class memory for us as a class of 64. Uh, I worked in long-term care all my life. I worked part-time most of the time. I liked the same people to be there when I got back, so hospitals were out. I really enjoyed my long-term care nursing, and um, I have really felt a lot of, um, uh, not sympathy, but understanding for the nurses who have worked through all the pandemic, so. But in my family situation, I'm glad I wasn't one of them, so. Um, I've been a Girl Scout for over 65 years, and that's where I got the history bug. I became a historian for uh, Great Rivers Girl Scout Council. We are now Girl Scouts of Western Ohio. I'm still a historian. And so then I went to the Taste of Coleraine uh, one summer, and there was a booth for the Historical Society, and I said, well, what the heck? So that was the year 2000 and I'm still a member. I've held a variety of offices and uh, enjoyed a whole lot of uh, interesting people and very interesting things to learn about the township. And we're still learning. I got a picture yesterday from the Ross Township Historical Society of the watering trough on Coleraine Avenue. 
uh, down the hill and uh, there was a narrative, a newspaper article, and I had never seen that newspaper article. They apparently called the watering trough Amanda Springs, and that was a new information for me. So it's like, yay, you can always learn something from someone. And I enjoy talking to people, as my husband says, <laughs> and uh, so I like to learn about the township. Now, I find that really interesting because, you know, you start with one thing and it brings a passion for another thing. What exactly about Girl Scouts sparked your interest in history? Was there really one thing or was it just overall? Um, because I started in the second grade and stayed in and then after I got out of high school, I was an adult. And as time moved on, things happened on the Girl Scout uh, level and so it just I did serve on the board for a few years and uh, so it just kind of well let's what is this and then there was the 85th anniversary and they wanted a display and so we found bags and boxes of stuff and that was that was it <laughs> and of course that's exactly the way Corin Historical Society is we've had lots of stuff stored in the basement and um, it was just interesting to see what came out of what bag or what box and it was again things I didn't know and so it just made it all the more interesting what kind of stuff was in the bags like pictures oh golly Moses and uh, thankfully some of them identified mm -hmm. some of them not we had to hunt around to see if we could find somebody who knew uh, pictures some artifacts that said uh, what who used it or what it was used for uh, we have two napping hammers with a K napping mm -hmm. and those were used on the roadways to break up the rocks and you either if you had property nearby you could be volunteered or as I say voluntold that you could help break up the rocks to put on the roadway so that the roadway roadway would still be passable and uh, so those are the kind of things that so you can imagine hot cold wet whatever there's people out there tapping on the on the rocks to get rocks small enough to put in the roadway and so that's kind of how it was and then it just mushroomed from there now before we talk more about the Coleraine Historical Society for people who are listening that heard the term historical society but never really researched what is what would you say is a historical society like what goes into it tell me more about the general organization of a historical society well in our case it was a group of it is a group of people who are interested in the township history families uh, events the actual forming of the township and uh, all the way to today's elected officials because they're part of the official record of the township. So every time there's an election, we make sure we get a printed copy and that goes right into the folder that says elected officials, which move all the way back to the 1800s. Oh wow, so you actually have ballots from the 1800s? No, we just have the lists okay. of who was elected. Who was elected. And actually we have lists of women who were elected as a separate list mm -hmm. because even in the beginning early on uh, sometimes the husband would die and the uh, wife would take his place but she was 
an actual elected person. So we think that was very interesting. And um, the same as the people who served in the World War II, there were women listed there also because they did serve. So it's just looking at even mundane things, then we find names and then you can actually find people with those names today that are related to the early families. So it's just interesting. So mm -hmm. History definitely is interesting. Now you, you bring up politicians and women uh, do you know how many exactly, how many women have been elected in Colerain Township or a general ballpark? Oh, do you 10, 12, something like that. 10 or 12. Mm -hmm. Is there one interesting politician or um, public servant uh, through Colerain's history that really stands out to you, like a really interesting person throughout history? Is there somebody just like really colorful that's kind of interesting where you got a funny story? Um, no, I don't. I can't think of anything right off the top of my head. But there were people like Dale Diefenbacher. Mm -hmm. He served like 17, 18 years, and oh, wow. then of course there are other people that just served their uh, elected term. But mm -hmm. when you have people like Dale Diefenbacher, and you, uh, I know Joe Walterman is another one who served a long time, and so it makes it interesting to see or to think about what those people saw in changes mm -hmm. over the years of A, how the township worked, and B, what was happening in the township. And so the township of 2021 is way different than the 2000, I mean, uh, like 1964. Mm -hmm. it, the township's way different because of technology and culture and just the changes that normally happen. So, but it is interesting to look back and see the many people who served more than uh, even four or five years. So, no stories except Dale Diefenbacher in downtown Dunlap had a, a fruit market uh, for many, many years right on the corner across the street from the fire department. And uh, so, uh, I'm a Peach Grove person, but I'm now a Dunlap person, mm -hmm. and I don't live in downtown Dunlap. I live in outer Dunlap, so uh, it's kind of interesting to see the change in the communities of themselves and then the people that uh, are living there and making some of those changes. So Now, you uh, brought up your timeline, your history with the Coleraine Historical Society started in 2000. Uh, what are some of the projects that you have worked on in the last 21 years and what have you been, one of your, one of the things you look back at and you're the most proud of? Hmm. Um, well, I've done a lot of different projects. We've uh, had a little project called Doing Business, Making History, and that continues today. We just kind of have put it aside for a little bit. Uh, the pandemic is one thing that couldn't reach out to a lot of people. Um, also, the intersections. So the intersection of Colerain and um, Galbraith has seen a gazillion changes over the years, and we'd like to record some of those changes. All it takes is a line going one way with an intersecting line the other way, and you put what you remember was on each of those corners or near the corner. And um, so those are the kind of things that we're reaching out to people to try to get information. And then uh, calling, people calling and uh, 
asking questions and looking up and giving them help. A lady came from Michigan and she was looking for her family information. She did get some and um, also I still find things so I put it in a file for her and um, I know one of the guys comes and uh, looks for his relatives and the, specifically the nurse who served in the Civil War and he wants to get as much information as he can about her and so we did find some. Uh, I'm, I still look all the time for the name he's looking for. So that's kind of makes it interesting and fulfilling for all of us, not just me, mm -hmm. but all of us. So, but yeah, I've just done a, lot, a variety of things over the years and um, enjoyed all of them and um, enjoyed the people working with the Historical Society. And some people just come and stay a little while and contribute. Other people, they're still there, just like me, so. Well. Now, uh, would you say most people in the community that interact with the Coleraine Historical Society that not a member, but they just come up out of the wild, uh, is it usually to find ancestors, to find out more information about their ancestors, or is it other stuff? Have you ever got like a crazy request for certain pictures or? A little of both. Uh, lots of people, we get out of town people for ancestors and we do have in town people that uh, maybe they just learned a new story or maybe they actually just got back one more generation. A lot of people do come and look for information to uh, further their uh, research for like DAR and, and other groups like that, so that helps. Uh, and we do just get some people to ask about, uh, well, I heard about uh, su such and such and used to be over at wherever corner, and what, what about it? And so we go back and research and try to find the information, and indeed sometimes they are really uh, informed, even though they didn't know all the details, but they do, but then that sets us on another search, so well, it's never-ending for sure. <laughs> How does one join the Coleraine Historical Society, and are there any membership fees? Yes, uh, you can join. You fill out an application. The applications are on the website. Uh, if not, we do have them at the museum, and um, there is membership fees, uh, $15 for a single and uh, $30 for a family. And uh, we do have life memberships, and I'm a life member with a few other people. And uh, so that is a higher fee, of course, but it does give the Historical Society some um, money to uh, do projects with. Now, you brought up the museum. I didn't know about that until I was looking at the website. Can you tell me more about the museum? Where is it located, and what are some of the exhibits that I can look at at the museum? Okay, the museum is at, uh, it's on Springdale Road between Coleraine Elementary and Coleraine Park. The impound lot's one end of the building, and so that's really easy to see. They have a big police um, badge on the building, so that's easy to find. And we have the other um, three rooms, and um, we uh, store a whole lot of stuff in the one room. We do have a display. Uh, area and then our office area and uh, the display right now is left over from the beginning of the pandemic but it is roads roads that are lost roads that are 
Um, not anymore at all, uh, but people may remember some of them. So it's really interesting. We uh, were looking for information on a burnt schoolhouse road. We have no records mm -hmm. uh, in Coleraine Township of a burnt schoolhouse specifically in the area. And the burnt schoolhouse road is really Cheviot Road. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, the, and then there's others. There's Hubble Thicket. Don't know why, but it's Hubble Road now. And there's a multitude of other roads that uh, started out as something else or in time uh, changed three different names. And so that's the kind of information that we have on display right now. And um, that, that we're trying to walk through and we have had donations in the last year so we have to process those and figure out what's happening. And, uh, but it's, the museum is not yet open to the public on, uh, ho hopefully in September we're going to open it. But um, I think on the website there's a phone number and that you can connect with that number and uh, make an appointment. We have to abide by all the rules that are still in the mm -hmm. township, but that's okay. We work around that and everybody's uh, hopefully uh, gets the information they need or uh, also give us things. If you're cleaning out your house, I tell everybody, started in Girl Scouts the same way, I can throw it away better than you because I know whether it has, or our group knows whether it has value or uh, information that we do need. And frequently, indeed, we do get things that are um, interesting and uh, we didn't know. Let me ask you this now, if somebody listening right now has a bunch of like old pictures or something really unique and they want to take it in and kind of show you, um, what's the best way to reach out to the Coran Historical Society? Um, you can check out uh, on the website and uh, we do have a, a email and it's on Outlook and it's uh, Coran with an E and we can back up to 1790s when John Dunlap, who was the actual founder of the township, he was a surveyor. And I tell everybody, John Dunlap surveyed in his own way. And uh, each township was a, supposed to be a designated size. And he kind of stretched that a little bit. But I excuse him because, you know, he had the river over there on that left side. Mm -hmm. So he had to work around the river. That's what I say. <laughs> um, is that the main reason why uh, Coleraine is the second biggest township in? It's actually the largest township in, in the geography in, in the state. In yes, the in, okay. the, in the state. Yes, geography, not, not uh, population, population yeah. wise. Population, I believe, is Westchester. I think Coleraine's number two, yeah. if I'm correct. Yes, but yes, that's indeed why John kind of just stretched the borders a little bit, mm -hmm. and, um, but it's okay any, with us. Did he, yeah, did he get any pushback from anybody else in what eventually would become Hamilton I County? I don't know, because after he was here for some certain amount of time, and then he mm -hmm. moved on, to Indiana, Illinois, that way. So okay. he probably wasn't here yeah. to hear any feedback. So John Dunlap, he was basically, lack of a better word, he was kind of like Johnny Appleseed. He would just come and set up a little well, town. Well, he had a real job on. of surveying okay. for uh, uh, this whole area. Mm -hmm. And so um, he was supposed to survey to help 
in the settlement and that's why the townships were designated um, for the certain size and um, so but he he did stay here for a while that's one reason they named Dunlap Station which is down on in in the area of Heritage mm -hmm. Park on East Miami River Road uh, could you tell me more about Dunlap Station uh, Dunlap Station was a fortified area not a real fort like we think of forts or you see on TV mm -hmm. but it was fortified there was a tree between each of the buildings mm -hmm. and the um, uh, I guess the biggest thing that happened there was the 1790 um, attack and uh, they did withstand the attack mm -hmm. and um, but then after it was all over and the soldiers from Fort Washington came and kind of rescued them then um, it was very hard for the settlers and so they decided that they would leave Dunlap Station and there is no actual record that I have seen that says how they got to North Bend which was the settlement closest to them so I am looking at they built rafts and went down the river because they thought river woods to Cincinnati river woods oh yeah river and mm -hmm. so they they did come back later and then the uh, town of Colerain the first town of Colerain was built a little farther away from the river because of course they know there was going to be flooding and so they built the other one a little farther away from the river but in that same general area now how many people lived in Fort Dunlap um, and that's a that's another thing mm -hmm. Dunlap Station Fort Dunlap and there was a third and they're all different things so Dunlap they're all Station the same Fort. place okay but they called it differently over the years okay and so um, but generally we call it Dunlap Station but when you go down to the Heritage Park and you'll see the monument there it doesn't say Dunlap Station it says Fort Dunlap uh, I think so yes so yeah uh, so again over the years it's been called the different but it's all the same place and um, settlers there was about 30 settlers and a few soldiers and um, so they did well to withstand the uh, attack of uh, many more numbers the larger numbers and mm -hmm. so it they they did well to withstand that uh, several were killed um, one was tortured but uh, we have planted the historical society has planted a tree in the uh, cemetery down there mm -hmm. and uh, we call it the Abner Hunt tree and uh, because he did die in that attack so we kind of honored and recognized him for his sacrifice that he made and um, so and the cemetery is a very old cemetery and uh, not that you can say it's the actual oldest, but we uh, pretty much assume people mm -hmm. who lived out in the country had family members die. They just would bury them right there in their family home place. Mm -hmm. And so there could be other cemeteries, but not couldn't be any older because that's where the settlement started in, at Dunlap Station. Now you mentioned cemeteries. Uh, does the Colerain Historical Society 
are they involved in the local cemeteries and also how many cemeteries are there in Colerain? Or is that number <laughs> just extremely out there? Like, uh, No, uh, we partner with the township right now. Uh -huh. uh, the township is committed to helping the cemeteries Definitely. that they are accountable for anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, oh, Chris just said the other day, maybe 19 cemeteries. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are more cemeteries than the township uh, takes care of because some are either private or belong to a church that the church does the care for it. But the township does have quite a few cemeteries, all with its own interesting history. And we do have information on each of the cemeteries in the museum. And we can get you information if you have a, a family member buried in any one of the cemeteries. So, but we're right now we're partnering with the township to be looking at giving more care to uh, we're gonna say about two or three at a time in a year. And so it's uh, it's a great thing that the township's able to do that. We know all the history, of course, mm -hmm. and uh, they have a lot of history also, but we're, we're uh, excited to be partnering with them. Now you uh, mentioned John Dunlap. Can you tell me more about his early life, like his upbringing um, leading up to him finding our founding Coleraine? Uh, John Dunlap was born in Coleraine, Ireland. Mm -hmm. It's in Northern Ireland, and it exists today. We are uh, a partner with them, with their historical society, and uh, they publish a band disc. It's on the river band, so it's a band disc uh, a couple times a year, so we they send us a copy of that. And we usually, I believe, send our uh, newsletter. And he grew up there, and then he, I don't know exactly when he moved to the United States, but he did, and then he ended up uh, uh, getting a job as a surveyor. What experience as a surveyor he had, I don't know. Mm -hmm. So. So, and eventually it led him to this area. Yes, yes. Do you know exactly how old he was, or? No. No? No. No. Uh, we were talking earlier before we got on the podcast. Can you tell me a little bit, or I find it interesting because you really can't mention much, but the Coleraine used to be spelled with an E. Indeed. And the E was dropped. And there's no real knowledge to why that no. happened? The uh, story goes that when he came surveying to this area, it reminded him of his home in Coleraine, Ireland. Coleraine, Ireland has an E on the end. And so he named it Coleraine. They do, we do have a few maps that has an E on the word Coleraine in our map. Mm -hmm. And um, then all of a sudden you don't see it anymore. Is there like a rough estimate when the E was dropped? No, no. I'd have to actually lay out all the maps and compare and that might be a little project to be looking at, but yeah. So it's interesting, but that's why. And then we, in homage to John Dunlap in the early, early days of Coleraine, that's why the Coleraine Historical Society does have an E. And uh, so if you're looking us up under Coleraine Without, you might find us, but you might not. So be sure and put that E on the end of Coleraine. Now, you, uh, to go back to the Coleraine Historical Society, I know a lot of historical societies have meetings. COVID's kind of 
threw that out of whack, but uh, can you tell me a little bit about the meetings, where they're held, and what goes on at an average uh, historical society meeting? Um, right, we have restarted meetings, and we are now meeting at the St. Paul United Church of Christ on Old Blue Rock Road. We meet the third Wednesday, uh, usually start about 6.30 for a little social session, as social as you can get with a bottle of water. <laughs> <laughs> but we are hoping to start refreshments again in September. So, um, and y usually we just do that meet and greet in the beginning and everybody catches up and we did have a meeting in May and it was, oh, hello, hello, hello. Because <laughs> we have, the board meetings have been happening. Uh, we have been meeting all this time. We, meet, uh, we have met in the early time. Uh, at our uh, Isaac Walton chapter because we can hold 300 people and you mm -hmm. can social distance good. So uh, we've been at least uh, carrying on business and uh, had but no membership meetings. So we have the meet and greet, refreshments, and um, then we have a program and a variety of programs. We are looking in July to have uh, Greater Northbrook come. We're going to present the Northbrook back history, including the uh, farm that was there, the Mullenhart Farm, and how it turned into Northbrook. And um, then they're going to come and tell us Northbrook today, the Greater Northbrook group. And um, so we're hoping also to um, do uh, different programs. All the programs that we had set for 20 were shot in, in half of 19. So we're going to get some of those people to come back and uh, look at a variety of different programs, trying to feature, if we can, on Colerain Township. But Now, can you tell me some cool historical uh, sites I can visit around Colerain that you would suggest? Um, of course, any park but there's not always history in any of the parks or all of the parks mm -hmm. and uh, but uh, heritage park on east miami river road uh, is a historical site so to speak it was the wilhelm farm and the township purchased the property and began then trying to see the best use of all of the property, mm -hmm. knowing that a piece of it's on the river and there was plenty of flat land. And so they have done a variety of things. Uh, the Corian Historical Society in the last couple of years has moved a toll house, which was in storage on, uh, at the township um, training center area on Corain and moved it now, it's at the park, it's open when the park is open, and um, inside is information all about the area, about the toll house itself. It used to be at uh, Cheviot and Galbraith, mm -hmm. and the history of those families, and just all kinds of information there, and uh, we now also, I think, have some information about our eagles uh, that really live in a, a Crosby Township, but. We're claiming them because they fly over us. And uh, so there's information in the toll house uh, about what toll houses did and also. Yeah, what did they do? Well, um, they had a building. They generally had a long gate across the roadway. Mm -hmm. And so to keep maintain the roadway, besides those little people with the napping hammers, mm -hmm. um, they 
charged for people to take their animals through take their wagons through take their buggies through whatever they were driving and lots of people took animals to market in cincinnati so that's exactly what they had to do they had to pay at each toll gate and one of the not necessarily historic things that are we have but we do have our own mall the north gate mall it was a toll gate at Coleraine and Springdale so in to me in homage to the history it's a north gate mall and so that's you know an interesting piece that that was what happened at that corner Mm-hmm. And also then the one at Chevy. There were a variety of gates throughout the township. And, um, and then when they made roads public, mm-hmm. then they did away with the what, what year was that? Do you Ooh, no, know? Don't, re- don't, don't know. Yeah. <laughs> don't know that. So, and how much was told? Do you, is there any oh, documentation on of on the much outside of the toll house uh-huh. in the park, it'll say two cents for this or... 10 cents for that and they didn't mm-hmm. get rich but two cents then was, was a, lot a lot of money. Of money yeah so yeah that I don't have it memorized but indeed there is a sign on the outside of that uh, toll house in the park is there any other really interesting little historical pieces that you can go and visit in Coleraine Township well if you drive very slowly mm-hmm. down Coleraine Hill or as I say the old way to Miami University and now all of those people are getting older themselves and you don't go that way anymore to Miami University Um, there is the watering trough it's the Giles Richards watering trough and Giles Richards was a mover and a shaker here in Coleraine Township he Mm -hmm. made subdivisions and um, I live in a Giles Richards subdivision I also live on Yateman Wiley Dunlap Roads never moved the house but that's the way the subdivision was divided and the road system then so uh, it's kind of interesting but the watering trough has an uh, inscription engraved on it it -hmm. was designed for the people who were driving their cattle or bringing their flocks of whatever uh, up Coleraine Hill, lots of people that's from Indiana and northern, like Butler County, that's mm-hmm. how they got to the uh, slaughtering houses in town. And so they put this watering trough up, half of the roller that was used to roll Coleraine Pike. And um, so they there's a spring there, and so there was water always in the watering trough, and it was... Uh, fresh and available to help the animals and the people that were coming up to the hill. It's uh, really interesting. Yes. It, stupid question, but it's not workable anymore, is it? No, it water's there. The water's there? Yeah, but I would not advise to drink it. Drink it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think it would be up to uh, EPA approval, probably. Probably not, <laughs> even for the animals, maybe. Now, is there any other really interesting because I feel like every community, I, that's why I love, because I love to travel, and you go places, and you just see, like, New York City, and 
all these different places. Even in Fairfield, I was talking to you how it was established in the 50s. We have like really interesting historical buildings, not as much as say Colerain and other older um, communities, but I just find that really super fascinating. Um, something just flitted through my mind. Uh, oh, I know, one of the things is uh, in 2013, we participated in um, the unveiling, we'll say, of the uh, John Hunt Morgan Trail. And John Hunt Morgan came through Coring Township in 1863. Uh, all the areas around thought he was coming to them, so they were afraid. Um, it was the middle of the war, and um, he came through Harrison to enter Ohio and went all the way to Eastern Ohio, and there is, in 2013, an established trail. And so you can start in Harrison and go all the way to where he surrendered to the local people, not to the army that had chased him all the way from Kentucky and uh, through Ohio. And um, so we do have a trail, it's, it's uh, signs are posted, and um, so we do have a society member who, well actually two members who drove the whole trail all the way to Eastern Ohio. So that was a, an interesting thing that maybe uh, could make a bucket list uh, because times were so different, people were afraid, and um, Cincinnati was ready to be attacked, but he did not go there and did not go there on purpose, but he felt like he was drawing um, soldiers away from battle to follow him. And he did have a, a variety of experiences here. We have five houses currently standing that were raided by the soldiers. And, um, and now these soldiers are Confederate soldiers? Confederate soldiers. Confederate soldiers. Yes. And um, uh, he started, came across the river there in, in um, Blue Rock and East Miami, mm -hmm. and then kind of spread out. Some people came up Coleraine Hill, some people came up other roadways, Springdale, and um, I tell everybody he had 2,500 soldiers and horses and equipment that he was responsible for, and so they did what they did, and um, I say he borrowed a few things from different people. Um, there's a, a house on Blue Rock Hill, there's a house on Springdale, uh, the Hardin House, which was across the street from Northgate Mall, was a raided house. We do have records, and uh, one of our members uh, in right before that time frame uh, did a lot of research, and that's how we found the houses. And um, actually, there's a listing of what they applied for. That's how we knew they were a raided house. And so we do have that trail that goes through Coleraine Township and then on east to um, Eastern Ohio where he did surrender. So that's an interesting kind of thing. We do have a book in the museum that if you're interested in looking at that trail, you can come in, look at the book, uh, get information from it. You can actually probably still order one from the trail commission and, um, and find out some of that and find out interesting history of of the time, 
it was a way different time than you know we could think of mm-hmm. and um the war was different than wars we think of now or how people experience war now now i'm like you've mentioned a few times northgate mall and i for whatever reason I'm, i've always been fascinated by malls and especially now that they're kind of going away with online mm-hmm. shopping uh, does the Coleraine Historical Society, have you done anything to kind of document the changes that are going on, not with Northgate Mall, but just malls in general, strip malls? Um, I don't think we've actually done it as a project for, mm-hmm. you know, but what we do is when things change a little bit, then we either try to get that paperwork. Sometimes it'll be in the Northwest Press. Maybe it'll be in the Enquirer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we try to uh, preserve that information and um, just like the Cincinnati Savings now, oh boy, they're a whole new building. So we will be looking at it, getting a photo. I'd love to know if they are having an open house or so that we can document that. And that's another piece of a project that we've uh, started, but pandemic wise kind of been held back a little is looking at the, today's history um, and documenting some of that stuff. Again, mm-hmm. the corner at Colerain and Galbraith where Thornton's is has probably been 150 different things over the years. We do have a few pieces of documentation, but not all of it. So that's one of the things we just need to concentrate on now as a group. Now, I- I've been to uh I did the Crosley Field Tour down in Cincinnati, and I'm always kind of sad by how we kind of fail to document our history. So why do you personally feel like it's important to document our history? It's really for the people of tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And life is so different than when I grew up. As I tell her, it's not, it's, it's a whole different world. And so the kids of today and the adults of today, they can sit back and take a look at how things were. And then sometimes what that does, it makes them realize their own history. Um, We do family history at our house. I blame it on my son when he worked on the genealogy merit badge for Boy Scouts. And it went downhill from there. But that's really how people connect with their past, with their ancestors, and with the community their ancestor lived in. My mother was a Georgetown, Kentucky person. My dad was a Knoxville, Tennessee person. Uh, My husband's parents were from smaller communities in Tennessee. So it's just interesting to find out how those people lived and then you move it back to right here. And uh, today is tomorrow's history. That's the, really the whole upshot is what happens today, seemingly mundane, nothing. It is important overall, the big picture of anyone's life. And so we're interested in that and uh, in what's happened in the community and what's happening in the community. I agree. Um, my other question with that is, has the Coleraine Historical Society, have they been involved in actually historically preserving a building? Yes, the Toll House. 
the Toll House. That yes. was one of them. Have they ever done anything else? Like, what is the process to save a building from being destroyed to be a McDonald's or a parking lot? I don't think we've actively participated. Unfortunately, there is no designated historic buildings in mm -hmm. the township, even though, indeed, we know there are historic buildings, but never were designated. And um, so it's, I don't know if we would be able to pick one building or, or you know, to make a project like that right now. Mm -hmm. But it, if we can't do that, then we maintain the history, get as many photos of uh, things that are happening um, there is, you know, in our, I don't know, you probably don't know, we had three airports in one township. Did not know that. Could you tell North me Northgate Mall was the Mount Healthy Airport. Okay. It was Mount Healthy because it had to have a post office attached to it. Mm. And so that, before it became Northgate Mall in 1972, it was an airport. Now, it hadn't been used as an airport for a little while, but indeed it was from the 40s on an active airport. Also the Clippard Company that's down in Grosbeck had their own corporate airport mm -hmm. and that's where Clippard Park is now. When 275 chopped up the area, they, it became, it, it was no longer an airport and it became a park eventually. And then we also had the Lakewood Airport, which was more over in the uh, Pippin side. Mm -hmm. And um, that was a little airport. We know a little bit about it. We have some information. And um, it was uh, very interesting that three airports in one township. So indeed, we are a special township. And of course, we have our own river, the Great Miami River. And we have lots of different uh, special things here in the township. I have a list in the museum. I don't have it memorized, but um, yes. That is like really interesting. I had no idea there mm -hmm. was three airports. When, uh, what was the last year when the final airport ceased to exist, do you know? Uh, no, it was sometime before the mall was, and it opened I believe in 72, so back up a year or two by the time they grade everything. So the Northgate Mall where it sits right now that used to be an airport. Indeed, it used to be an airport. Wow. wow. I don't know if you've been out to Blue Ash, but what they redid the yes, Blue Yes, I've Ash, seen some park, of it, yeah. That is really beautiful to go up there mm -hmm. on the observation deck. That mm -hmm. is super, super cool. Uh, my, my other question is, does the group ever hold events or fundraisers in the community? Uh, yes, we have been hampered <laughs> by the pandemic. Um, it'll be nice when we don't have to say that anymore. Um, but right now we're having a quilt raffle. You can go to the website and hunt um, for information about that. We have ongoing uh, fundraisers at Kroger's. We have ongoing fundraiser at Amazon. And uh, you can probably go to the website and get information on how to be a part of that. And uh, then we do have sometimes special ones. I know we had our cemetery walk end of May and um, that's usually a donation request but um, it's an interesting way to bring people out to see the cemeteries and learn about the people that are living in the cemetery living that were living in the township and now are buried in the cemeteries we basically start at um, the Beaver Cedar Grove Cemetery 
and then people can go to any of the other cemeteries that are uh, here in the township. And uh, we do a variety of fundraisers otherwise. Uh, over the years, we've done just a lot of different things. And um, so hopefully we can get into full fundraising mode. And um, we do frequently have a restaurant um, where you go and they give a portion. Uh, I know that'll be on the website when we start that again and get a date settled for that. So I think we're ready for it. We're ready to eat. <laughs> Now, you mentioned earlier about how the creation of 275 pretty much destroyed that airport. Uh, what else was destroyed? Because I read a really fascinating book a couple years ago about uh, Robert Moses and how he built these highway structures through uh, these neighborhoods. And I think Coleraine is kind of unique because a major highway system goes right through Coleraine. And where I live, that's not the case. Uh, do you have any historical document of stuff that used to be there that was destroyed to make way for 275? Well, we do have pictures, older pictures, of the intersection of Dry Ridge and Coleraine. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side was Beavis. We do have some of those photos that uh, you can get your, mi uh, your magnifying glass out and look and see a lot of the business signs and things that were at those corners. Um, Blue Rock Road was changed drastically. On one end, it was cut off, and then it became the old Blue Rock, the part that was left. Um, the other is when you go down Blue Rock Hill, that was all changed. Um, so there is, in that Blue Rock, Springdale uh, area was a whole lot of changes. Uh, a lot of houses may be disturbed, but not so much businesses, because it's not as filled with business in those areas. But definitely there at the cemetery, at Beavis Cedar Grove Cemetery, all of that was different uh, because of, and then of course, Coleraine Avenue has expanded and expanded and expanded. And in fact, in this recent past couple of years, they had to move eight or more uh, bodies, burial areas, mm -hmm. uh, because they put that lane in that you can do it longer lane for turning right. So that impacted the cemetery. They had to move, get those people, and there was a whole process in that. It's very interesting. Uh, the state's involved and just everything, you know, has to be done exactly right. And then they had to rebury them farther back in the cemetery. So it's, it's interesting. Now, people make history. Can you tell me a little bit about historically interesting people, people who've made uh, contributions that have impacted not only Coleraine but the whole entire country. Oh, that's a good question. Hmm, not off the top of my head. <laughs> not off the top of your head. I mean, Coleraine has to have like some famous people, don't they? Because I mean, it's such a big organization or um, a big community, I should say. Yes. Um. Gee, I I don't really. Somebody will call and tell us somebody who was famous. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can erase this. Um, let's see here. But uh, the last question I want to ask you is, is I would just love, it's not even really a question, I would just love to kind of wrap up here by you telling me just one really interesting historical story or fact about Coleraine that really is the most interesting thing, like your favorite <laughs> historical story you know, story that just 
stands out to you? Like when people say, tell me like something that's really interesting that nobody really knows about that's just super unique. Is there one story that just kind of jumps out at you that you just love to tell when people ask like, tell me more about Coleraine Township? Mm. Well, that is a good question. Um, gosh. Uh, maybe not so much a story, but the mm -hmm. information or the, I won't say progress, because that seems the wrong word. Um, the Mullenhard family was a big family. There were four or five brothers, and um, Florence, the sister, um, just died recently. But the Mullenhard farm on... Um, it, as I said before, it turned into the Northbrook subdivision. But mm -hmm. that farm was held by their family for, oh, I won't say 100 years, but a very, very long time. And to think today that families are living there and moving in, moving out, raising their kids there. Um, Bob Mullenhard is the person who built the Dunlap Station model that's here in the rotunda. It's available anytime the building is open to visit, to learn about those early days uh, at Dunlap Station down on East Miami River Road. And I think that family deserves recognition for not just how they lived their life, but what happened when their farming days were over and how it made such a big change to our community, um, the people who needed houses, who wanted to move out of the city, found those houses. And, and of course, then they went up, boom, 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 they had a house built. And um, so I think it's uh, just one seemingly normal family to have such an impact, whereas when I get home, I would be able to think of several other families or several other things in the same way. But I think the Mullenhard family as a whole, over their years um, of living, saw and made such a changes. And we have maps and pictures in the museum of Northbrook subdivision with the farm imposed over it to see that it started with that family as they raised their kids and raised their crops and then they made such a big impact on the community. So I think that's one thing that, you know, it's not on the TV or it's not, you know, what, but it, it is such an important thing that when they're family first started the farm, who'd have knew that they would have in such an impact on Coring Township? And then, of course, there's other communities that have come up and subdivisions, and but just thinking as a family member what your family could do for the community and have people look back on it the same way as the Mullenhard Farm made an impact here on Coring Township. So.
Now, as, as we record this, it's summer, and a lot of people engage in summer reading. Is there a really good history book that you would suggest to our listeners that are fascinated by history? Um, anything jumps out to you? Um, Coleraine Township has two books. Mm-hmm. Um, Frank Scholey and Don Lins put together the what I call the picture book. It has a zillion pictures in it. It has um, a lot of information, but not a lot of narrative. And we do offer those for sale at the museum, so you can check on the website and get information. And also, uh, Joe Flickinger, who is a history teacher at Northwest High School, wrote what I call the narrative history of Coleraine Township. And you can get information, I believe, on the website, if not, send to the email and ask, and we can get you information on Joe's book. And um, he did uh, collaborate with the Historical Society and took a lot of, you know, scanned a lot of pictures and got information. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a great uh, source of history for the township. He also wrote a Green Township history book, so it wasn't like his first book. Mm -hmm. And, so I think that's a good way to look at the history is narrative tells you the story in words and facts. The picture book tells you the places and the people. And to put them both together, you have pretty much the history of Coleraine Township. Uh, then start to look at your, making your own new history Again, Cincinnatus has changed. Uh, things are happening at the mall. Other buildings going in, and uh, so I think it's just a piece of putting it all together. Joe's book, the uh, Frank and Don's book, and then you pretty much got the history. Well, thanks for coming on, Mary, and painting a better picture of Corrine Township's history. It was really fascinating. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, and we hope people are interested in the society. Check the website, send us an email, um, and we'll be glad to get back with you. Or if you need to uh, come, we can look at how we can get information to you. So it's been fun. I'm not done yet, I guess. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hey Coleraine. Please subscribe to the show on the podcast platform you listen to so you don't miss an episode. Also, give Coleraine Township a like on Facebook, which is a great place to learn about the latest happenings in our community. You can also visit us at Coleraine.org. On behalf of everybody at Coleraine Township, this has been Corey Foister. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.